So you're walking down the street in Hollywood and you discover a box of letters between the Star Trek producers. A treasure trove of insider information. What would you do? Well, I found that box. And he shared it with me, John Kramer. I shared it with Kramer. So that we could share it with the universe. Nomad, the perfect Star Trek podcast. Hello and welcome to Nomad, the perfect Star Trek podcast. The show where we know things about Star Trek that you don't. And how do we know that? Because we have the emails, letters, and correspondence straight from the desk of the Star Trek producers. My name is David Pompey, and here with me is my co-host, hey, Kramer. Um, you know, I think we should change that intro because it's really not straight from the desks. It went straight from the desk into somebody's garbage, <laughs> and then it, went to, <laughs> then it went to our desks. So, so we've left <laughs> that, that little true. detail out. Maybe we should stay straight from, from the, the garbage of the Star Trek producers. And I just happened to find a bunch of scripts and letters yes. in the garbage, which I'm not sure <laughs> what that sounds like. But I think you're right, Kramer. We should change that intro because it's not quite no. accurate. So, Kramer, what's going on in your well, world? Well, uh, let's see. I uh, I had a lovely visit uh, the other day with our old friend Allison Riley from Second City. Yeah, she's oh, now she's now a, re really? a retired producer from <laughs> from Second City after thirty five or so years, and uh, it was fun catching up with her. You know, talking about alumni, lots of stories I cannot say on the air here because I would get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know how that works. Well, a shout out to Allison yeah. Riley. We love you we do. very we much. We do. She's doing great. Wow. Uh, so let's see. Um... <laughs> well, we we we've got a really good show today, and uh, we've got the second part of the letter from last last week, um, and we've also got yep. Star Trek news and a couple of other yeah. features. We do. So, buddy, Dive let's in. just okay. get into it. Star Trek news. It's Star Trek news. All right. So, um, well, to start out in Star Trek news this week, uh, they're apparently already renewing the new uh, kid show, Star Trek Prodigy, for a second season, which is pretty, you know, dang fast, considering that they've only had, I think, three or maybe four episodes there already, but they've already given it a green, lit, green light uh, on Nickelodeon and then on Paramount+. Plus. And uh, it's not something I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever be watching. Other, I've watched the pilot, and it just, it's, it's not what I would call adult fare. Little, little, little too kid. <laughs> well, you know what? Good for them. And I, I would say that I, they probably had already planned on doing that. Yeah, it's like the uh, uh, this new series that's about to premiere on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, The Wheel of Time. Uh, it's it's based on a uh, fantasy series because Jeff Bezos decided when Game of Thrones was on, <laughs> he went to the you know Amazon Prime people and said, I need a show like Game of Thrones that is must-see TV. And they went looking for something. And I ha I, I've read the books the series wow. is based on, and I can't – it's either 19 or 20 wow. novels. And these are really long novels. And they've already committed to three seasons. 
Yep. So another uh, news item, Paramount has announced that they're delaying the release of the next Star Trek feature film until December of 2023. It was originally scheduled for June of 23. And while we have no idea about what's in the film (laughs) or who's it about or anything like that, but I'm happy to report that Paramount is also moving Transformers Rise of the Beasts (laughs) from June 20, June of 22 to June of 23. Uh, and, and Michael Bay is no steward, storyteller at all. But I would say uh, they did at least hire some excellent actors uh, from Shia LaBeouf to John Malkovich. Or is it Malkovich? Uh, people say Malkovich. I forget which character, but Leonard Nimoy uh, <laughs> played one of the Transformers at one point. Star Trek News. All right. So we're going to take yeah. a quick break. And when we come back, um, we'll be talking about the uh, Michael Bay's letters, the red alert letters, we're calling them. Uh, I, I said Michael Bay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I should hit myself right in the head. <laughs> uh, we'll be back right after this. Okay. All right. So we're back. And today we're picking up where we left off last week with part two of discussion of Michael Pillar's red alert letters. Michael Pillar's. Like red alert letters. Like he's not yeah. happy. Right. Uh, and he's writing these <laughs> letters to the Voyager producer, Jerry Taylor, from Michael Pillar, C.C. Rick Berman. It's dated June 24th, 1996. Yeah. That, if that sounds familiar, again, it's the first part uh, of the letter that we read last week which we did page one last week, so we're going to pick up with page two. All right, here we go. He says, specifically, let me take future's end first. The fundamental elements of the story simply don't hold up to scrutiny. I'll be specific as I go through, but the biggest one that jumps out is this. If If Braxton knows what he knows, he would never have left home. It has nothing to do with the paradox. If you know your own car is going to cause an accident, you leave the car in the garage. So there's no logic to the setup, which motivates all the action in this story. I don't know how to fix that. I don't see the motivation for Braxton to hail us, especially to tell us in vague, incomplete terms why he's come. Does he expect us to believe him and just turn off our defense systems? Yeah, well, I, it's like I, my observation is it's this is um, it's like they're being pulled over by a 29th century time cop and blamed for something that they didn't do. He goes on page 11. I question the validity of Janeway's conclusion that Braxton is the key to all of this. He's the only way we have of getting back to our own century. We're the ones who created this time anomaly disaster. We're the ones who fired that torpedo. We have no idea is Braxton capable of undoing the damage that we've done. In fact, we look pretty yeah. inept throughout the episode. It's just everything about it that is, the setup is 100%. That was one of the most frustrating things was how the crew didn't seem to be able to do anything with this guy. Yeah, it's uh, it just there's there's so many holes <laughs> in this. And the thing that's and we've talked about this before. Uh, he he's left. Uh, Michael Pillar, the producer, had left the show. Page twenty-seven. I would look very hard at Janeway's speech. Do what you have to do. 
What does this mean? What kind of orders are those? Then she says, I can't risk contaminating the timeline. But after saying, do what you have to do, that just seems weird. She knows as well as anybody that polluting the timeline can be done by the simplest kind of actions. They're already contaminating well, the timeline by being there. In the command chair. Page tw- yeah. <laughs> Page 29. Braxton is unconvincing as a character. His speech about being enthusiastic, hopeful, confident in his mission. But you wouldn't listen to me. Only concerned with yourselves. Considering the events, it's just not credible that he would expect anybody to believe what he had to say in the amount of time that he said it in. According to this scene, Janeway has set the disaster in motion by her poor decision to send the photon torpedo into the time anomaly. It doesn't make her look very good. I fear by now that the audience is really going to have a hard time tracking what's happening here. The storytelling is awfully complex. Yeah, but, you know, it's complex, but I think this is the kind of thing where people just kind of like go, oh, whatever. It's just because they were playing it for yeah. a, a lot of it was played for comedy. Again, it just reminds me of Star Trek Four, and you're sitting there and you're going, this is a bad version of Star Trek Four. Just go catch some whales and let's end this thing because it was really painful right. to watch. Yeah, I have to think that whoever, I mean, Jane Waven talks about, uh, <laughs> back at Starfleet Academy, they teach them about time travel, and you're not supposed to pollute the timeline. She's right. like, oh, my God, my, yeah. it makes my head hurt thinking about it. And just like, okay, with the example you gave, like where Spock does the Vulcan neck pinch on the guy on the bus and he hits his head, you know, the guy could have, this guy could have been, his son maybe cures cancer. Or something, except he hit his head really hard, <laughs> or they, or they caused they could have gotten arrested there. I mean, you're you're trying to have a low profile, so just like, don't listen, just ignore the music for a while, dude. You know, just just get, get off the bus, anything. Don't get into an altercation with someone. Like you would think something else would have happened. Again, on the bottom of page thirty-one. How does he know yeah, all of this occurred? And if terrible. he knows, why did he ever come? Same for the top of page 32. Janeway immediately accepts at face value everything that Braxton says and lets get him away and suddenly decides that Starling is her enemy. It's hard to believe her. <laughs> Starling yeah, like, yeah, is why, a very mustache twirling kind of villain. <laughs> I love that. He's a he's snidely yeah. whiplash. <laughs> On page 34, get the data and get rid of her. Basically, he's ordering the murder of this young woman for no apparent reason. And then he takes out his Captain Queeg balls, which is awfully over the top. Uh, Mr. Pillar goes on to say, the audience will ask, how did Paris and Tuvok get the pickup truck? And we find out later that they stole it. Page 41, Tuvok and Paris prove to be inept in the job they've been assigned to do. Page 42, why would Dunbar try to kill this woman in front of witnesses? Why would he try to kill three people just for the hell of it? These are unconvincing heavies. I agree. And I remember saying, why would he do this in public? He's going to murder these people right here, right now, in front of all these people? 
I, I didn't buy it. I'm like, he wouldn't do this. What a dumb plan. I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Page 44 and 45. The Neelix scene jumps out as another example of a character whose role in this series is unclear. Yeah, he's, that was stupid. Yeah, yeah. And once again, he's complaining about the direction they've taken Neelix. Page 56. Kim disobeys the captain's order. Where is Janeway throughout this exchange? And once again, yeah. on page 63, we prove to be inept in our decision-making by allowing ourselves to be revealed. Many of our general concerns expressed at the story stage still exist here. Yeah. I think it feels very contrived that we wind up on Earth in 1996 from the Delta Quadrant in the 24th century. Man, I find myself agreeing with Michael Pillar so much because I absolutely said this. Me and my son, I remember we've watched this and we've seen this episode more than once because, you know, I watch I watch all of the Star Treks, as you know, I'm continually watching them and I tend to watch them in order. And every now and then, you know, my son will be passing through and he'll sit down because he likes the show, too. He doesn't sit and watch the whole episode, but he might sit and watch a few scenes or he may watch the whole episode. And we were watching this one, I would say, a couple of months ago. And it was the same thing. And he sat there and he thought by traveling through time and they end up on Earth in the 90s. Like he didn't buy it at all in comic books. That'll happen like. You'll be in Paris, for example, and you travel through time, and suddenly you're in Chicago in the 20s. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, by and large, Star Trek, (laughs) it's one of their biggest uh, goof-ups is how they've handled time travel. To travel, you you go around the sun at a certain speed, and you can travel back in time, and see, he travels back to the 1960s on Earth. And he, but he'd do it in a controlled way. So no. he figured it out back in Kirk's day. <laughs> and so here we are in Janeway's day, de- you know, decades into the future. And they've had a lot of time to study this. So whenever they get into a really tough spot where uh, the galaxy's going to end here, well, you know, let's take a quick trip around the closest star here. Right, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> yeah. And we're back. All right, Kramer, let's I know uh let's talk a little bit about the fan reaction to this episode. I know we don't like it, but what was the Star Trek universe saying? Well, once again, for, as far as I can tell, the cast really enjoyed doing it cuz they got to go outside. That's all. It was it looked like it was a beautiful day when they were filming. Uh but my favorite nugget about the episode is that the the top producer Rick Berman thought that Henry Starling, played by Ed Begley Jr., was the best villain they'd created for Voyager up to that point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Starling? He was the worst villain. That's <laughs> they're going, really? Man, that was a tough three, that was a tough three seasons. Okay, this week's feature is me asking Dave questions to test his knowledge of Star Trek and time travel. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> yeah, that's hap- that's happening, Dave, here. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Qu- really? Oh, geez. So what is this segment called? Ask Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. I'm probably going to be... Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, Dave. So how many time travel stories do you think they've done 
on all the uh, Star Trek uh, 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 series combined and including the movies? You know, what would be your guess? Oh, every TV series and every yeah. film? How many episodes wow. do you think were right. time travel episodes? Okay. Yeah. And the original series, which is only three years, oh, they did wow. it three times. I forgot about that Plus, one. They did it Enterprise. twice in their feature films. Just Enterprise. That was five seasons, I believe. Did they get five seasons? Do you know right. which feature uh, films they I'm did? I'm going to say, oh, I don't, ca- I don't count those. Eight. That's like, f- was it five years they did? I was going to go no higher than four. Eight they, times? They got, they, got, they got a lot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't count yeah. those. <laughs> Yeah, yeah eight, I don't. Eight, eight. I don't count yeah, those. Pretty, pretty amazing. That's not uh, the next generation did it ten times. I I could see that because Q probably did half of them, which leaves us with Voyager, which did it eleven times. No way. No way. Ele- Voyager did time travel eleven times, but they can't get home. Yeah, I'm just like shocked. In the in the series, to me, the best time travel story was City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. S, Dave? Well, the answer is really kind of astounding because the total number of Star Trek uh, time travel stories through all the series and the movies is 54. So of those 54, four of them were from films. The Voyage Home, Generations... And the uh, uh, 2009 Star Trek, and then, of course, Star Trek First Contact. And the breakdown for the series goes like this. DS9, Deep Space Nine, had seven episodes. Uh, the original show had three plus two films, uh, which would be Generations and uh, The Voyage Home. And then Star Trek Enterprise has an astonishing eight episodes then Star Trek The Next Generation has 10 episodes. And the one that just blows my mind here is Voyager did 11 time travel stories. I uh, probably did like 50-50 on the time travel yeah. knowledge. You did? Yeah. it's. I didn't full, I If you had nailed that, I would have been really impressed. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm signing out yeah. this week with... Beam me up, Scotty. There's no intelligent life down here. Wait, have I done that one before? Maybe we should do T-shirts with that on it. I think somebody beat us to that punch. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, we'll travel back in time and do it before them. Uh, hopefully we won't run into Starling. Yes, we won't. Yeah, because he's a bat. He will twirl his mustache at us. Goodbye.